Episode of the NRL Supercoach All Stars podcast. This is Barnsley back again for another week. And geez, what a week it was. We had magic round, but wasn't particularly magic with a lot of uh, not changes to the rules, but changes in our interpretation of them, which meant that obviously we had a lot of sin bins and send offs, which is quite huge for Supercoach. But big round of footy, a uh, big round of footy to dissect coming up as well. Uh, this week, it's actually going to be a bit of a shorter podcast, just due to a few time constraints and different things as well. Uh, I'm just going to do a solo one, probably for a lot shorter than what we're used to, but I'll be back with a bigger one next week. This week's one, though, we're going to go through the normal trade talk and player talk, and then straight into the quick game review for the round, looking at captaincy and vice-captaincy, and a couple of outliers that you might want to consider in your matchups for the week. Before we do that, I do need to mention important partner of the All-Stars podcast being Top Sport. Top Sport, 100% Australian-owned bookmaker in partnership with the All-Stars podcast. We love working with them. They've got some of the best odds in the betting markets pretty regularly, not just NRL, but everything else as well, although NRL has been on fire lately with some of the odds you've been able to get. If you are going to bet, do so responsibly, but have a look at Top Sport. If you're going to create an account there so they know that you're one of our listeners and they'll take good care of you if they do, Make sure that you use our promo code to sign up. That's SC All Stars, all one word. Top sport, love them. So let's get stuck straight into the podcast. We're going to go straight into trade and player discussion. And the first thing that we're going to talk about is our strategy discussion, like we did last week. And realistically, when we're having a look at the round, I mean, it was a huge round of footy. You had. Cleary have a 225-point score, which was actually 246 points before being updated with down dates. So it was hugely bigger than the Supercoach record, but ended up at you know 20-odd points above it. But it was also a round where we had a huge amount of send-offs, like I said, as well. So a bit of an up-and-down round, and it was one also where there was a huge amount of movement. We've spoken about this before, where the movement in prior years, you know, around about this point, it's probably tapered off a little bit where you're not going to find that you're moving down or up as much as you were a few weeks ago. Uh, Just because we've got so many rounds of footy, it's it's a bit harder. There's a bit more points differential between the different teams and tiers of teams in the actual rankings. But now, because of the type of super coach game we've got in 2021, there's actually still massive movements. So we saw on the weekend, you know, a lot of 300-point differences between teams. You know, if you're Captain Cleary, you had a 1,500 to 1,600 score a lot of the time. And if you didn't, you might have been looking at as low as 1,200. So there was three 400-point differences between, you know, a team that was maybe ranked in the top 500 to top 10,000. And that meant huge drops and also huge increases. It also was really evident, though, and this is going to be the crux of our quick strategy discussion, that the changes to the interpretation of the rules on the weekend are, are going to have pretty big super coach ramifications if they continue. So I'll get my little rant out of the way first. I, I wasn't a fan of it being implemented or how it was being done. I'll say outright, I completely understand with player safety. Uh, I completely understand with having to look at concussions, having to make sure that we're doing things best practice in the sporting world to make sure that we're taking care of our players and the future and all that stuff that Vlandy banged on about in his little junket to try and convert everyone. But it was just done really poorly. Like, you don't 
in my opinion, change rules during a season, 10 rounds in, uh, to that sort of extreme and just go for it. Like, it's the sort of thing that they could have reviewed after the season. The other thing, too, is that there just wasn't a lot of consultation. And we've seen in rugby league before, when there's a lot of quick adjustments to rules and things and there isn't consultation with all the stakeholders, it, it always has a knock-on effect and, and the league doesn't always understand what that is. There was a few people have said this, but I was saying it a year ago that when you're going to change things like putting six again rules in and so forth, it's going to make the game a lot quicker. And if you want that, that's fine. But you have to accept the repercussions of what happens with making a game quicker. And that is fatigue. And the NRL put their hand up and said, yeah, we really want fatigue. That's what we want. Because it means guys are tired. They're not going to be able to tackle as well. We're going to get more line breaks, more tries, more entertainment. Yeah, well, when guys can't tackle as well, it means that you're going to get more errors and more accidents and more mistakes. So you need to be able to live with that. And there should be a common sense interpretation where you can see that it's just an accident. Uh, and unfortunately on the weekend, I don't think that was the case. I will say, you know, there was half of them were pretty warranted, I thought. Um, certainly, you know, the two send-offs, the Fuimano send-off and, and certainly the Papali send-off, uh, Papali'i send-off, I should say, they were pretty reasonable send-offs. I mean, I think that maybe a few weeks ago, they might have been 10 in the bin anyway. Uh, and they would just end up straight send-offs under the new criteria. That's fine. I don't think that that would have changed too much without these changes in interpretations. But things like that Lachlan Burr one, and I'm a Roosters fan, you know, that Lachlan Burr one was absolutely atrocious. You know, there's no way that Lachlan Burr should have gotten anything for Tedesco, you know, falling lower in the tackle and everything and, and him hitting his chest and bicep. Like, that was just a joke. And I, I probably think that... You know, maybe up to half of them were pretty contentious myself. So I wasn't a fan of it just because of how it was implemented, how they've looked at it and how they've done it. And also just the lack of rugby league understanding that you can turn around and say that we're going to eradicate high shots, but you're not. You know, it's you can't stop somebody from doing something that is an accident and unintentional. And I think that it was pretty well said by Ben Eichen on NRL 360, actually, where players aren't going to training and training to make high tackles. They're actually doing the opposite. Players also aren't going out on the field for the most part, especially in 2021, and trying to hit guys high or trying to take them out of a game. It happened in 1985. It doesn't happen now. So what you're seeing 99% of the time is guys who are tired who are making accidents or just rugby league tackles that go wrong because it's a collision sport. And anybody who's played footy would know when you're going in for a tackle, you know, it's once you launch and seat yourself, you can't change that. It's done. And guys change direction or, or change where they're at in a fraction of a second. And the old, the onus has to be on the defender. You, you can't just do that because it's a lazy throwaway line. The defender can't do anything. So you can put the onus on him as much as you want. You know, like I was chatting to mates of mine the other day and I played in the middle a lot of the time. I was a forward when I went in for a tackle to hit someone, I had to go in hard or I was going to get knocked out myself. And when I went in, after I launched myself, my eyes were closed at point of impact. I, I wasn't even looking because I'm bracing for impact and my eyes are closed. Like, there's no way that I can do anything about it if the, the target area is moved. And on NRL 360, again, you know, they spoke about it being a matter of an inch or two. And that's the difference between some of these send-offs and sin bins. You, you have to allow that that's going to happen. Now, you can do everything you can, you know, certainly the nasty ones or the ones that are really bad technique or using a shoulder that's too high. You know, the Papali one's probably a good example. Yeah, you've got to get that out. But this whole totalitarian regime of we're going to eliminate every head high tackle, 
it's silly because it's a goal that you're never going to achieve and it's unrealistic. No common sense in it for me. So I'm all for player safety and stuff, but the way that they implemented the crackdown on the weekend, I think was silly. Uh, and I, I do think that they're probably going a bit too far with their goals and things and lacks a bit of rugby league understanding in a collision sport. But that's how I feel about it from a rugby league perspective. Let's get into the strategy stuff because it really goes into super coach. Now, if we're going to keep seeing this happen, there's going to be a huge increase in, in send-offs and sin bins. Some people are saying, hey, it's it's it was sort of a line in the sand. They're going to adjust and stuff. If they do, like, I'm a lot more happy as a fan, you know, and I'll pull back a little bit on how I feel about it because that's fine. You know, if they're going to adjust next week, there's not going to be as many. They're going to look at things with a bit more common sense like the Lachlan Burr one. That's fine. But from everything that Vlandy said, from everything the NRL said, they're not going to pull up. And in fact, they even came out and said for the state of origin, there's going to be a zero tolerance policy. It's going to be exactly the same as the NRL. So for Supercoach, we have to assume, because we've got this sample now, this is what it's going to be. And if it is, what it means is on the weekend, we had a huge amount of send-offs. Now, 13 forwards were sent off on the weekend. Three of them were complete send-offs, 10 of them were sin bins, and four backs, which were all sin bins. So that's 17. That's more than one send-off of a, either a sin bin or full send-off per game that we're looking at. But as you can see there, 13 out of 17 of them were forwards. So what does this mean for Supercoats? Well, it means that forwards will probably be the most negatively affected if it continues. And yeah, that makes sense because forwards are the ones making the most tackles. They're the ones that are going to be the most fatigued and they're the ones that are going to be the most vulnerable for a sin bin or a send-off. So... The numbers on the weekend, even though it's a one-weekend sample size, support that. 13 out of 17 is a huge outlier as far as numbers go. So what does this mean for Supercoach? Well, you know, if forwards are going to be that negatively affected, it's a pretty big deal because you're going to have one forward a game that's going to lose anywhere from 20 to 25% of their average points for that game just via a send-off or a sin bin, and you can't really plan on it. Um, likewise, though, when you're looking at the opposite the backs aren't going to be as affected. And in fact, they're actually going to be positively affected for Supercoach if you have a look at the strategy of it. Now, virtue of a team having a player sent off is that the opposing team is going to get huge benefit. We saw it on the weekend. Uh, the Roosters scored multiple tries uh, when Lachlan Burr was sent off. Other teams also did the same. The Panthers absolutely put the um, opposition to the sword when they ended up with 10 minutes there on 12 men. Absolutely killed them. And that's going to mostly end up being positive for the backs, as we saw, because the backs score the majority of the tries and the attacking stats. You know, part of the reason that Nathan Cleary had his 225 was because he had a 10-minute period where his team was attacking a, well, a 12-man lineup, and I think that they scored three tries in that 10-minute period, I'm pretty sure. If not, it was definitely two. So that's, that's a big pump-up for Nathan Cleary's points. Nico Hines, great example, went ballistic on the weekend. The Dragons ended up with 12 men for you know what, 50 minutes of the game, 45 minutes of the game. He ended up with 182 score, and he was absolutely carving them up, had a fantastic performance. But was he going to do that to that level of 182 points if he was playing against 13? No, no chance he was. So it was a massive, massive positive for some of these backs with having players sent off on the opposition. The other thing that it does as well, and I mean, the Peachy one was a good example from the Panthers as well, like we mentioned with Cleary and some of those other backs. But the other thing that it's going to do as well is we're going to see bigger scores and we're going to see some blowouts as well that happen more often than not. So 
the target the targeting for super coach you know if you're really looking at it i'm really looking at it as in high ceiling backs and now even more important than ever and particularly high ceiling backs on good teams fullbacks and halves uh, a huge like we were reserving a lot of them before I, i'm going to be looking at probably reserving you know both half and and five eight now so i've got three reserve spots in my back line half uh, a five eight and a fullback because the attacking stats that are going to be up for grabs in some of these games is going to be huge i also mentioned high upside high ceiling guys from good teams and the reason i say that is because the teams that are going to struggle most with this new rule interpretation are definitely going to be the worst teams. You know, the teams that are in the bottom eight of the competition are there because one of them's talent, and certainly, it, you know, talent is going to play a part in you know how well you can perform on the field, and some of that is also going to be how how well disciplined you are, which is going to play a part, and and how much fatigue comes into your side, and how well your defensive line is drilled to not make those errors or not need to make those type of errors. So I think the worst teams are going to be the worst affected. And likewise, the best teams, they're probably going to be the least affected. So when you're talking about those top four teams playing the bottom four teams, when that happens, you know, it's, I think the likelihood of a Sinbin or a send-off to one of those lesser teams in those matchups is it, definitely going to happen more often than before. And when it does, those top four teams are absolutely going to kill it. And it's going to be their top playmakers and their backs that are likely going to be big beneficiaries. So there's... Pretty big super coach ramifications. It only has been one week though. So, you know, as a strategy, you wouldn't just say, this is how it's going to be. You know, the NRL could turn around and change it next week. But I'm saying all of this as a strategy for super coach and a super coach impact as in if it's going to continue as it is. And look, realistically, you know, we had the 17 send-offs on the weekend. If it goes down to 10, that's still going to be a pretty big a pretty big difference in some of these matchups. Um, and certainly if you get one guy sent off on the weekend, you know, that that team that's going to be playing 12 men for possibly 50, 60, or even 70 minutes of a game is absolutely going to carve up, and that's what you're going to want. So certainly teams playing, you know, the bottom dwellers like the Bulldogs and so forth, um, you, you're going to want some of those big attacking players that are playing them because they're going to have a chance to go bigger than ever before, I reckon. And I'm even going to say something that is almost taboo in supercoach circles, uh, and that is what also might come into play here is even looking at reserving a centre wing in your 17. Now, normally, you know, you, sometimes you don't even want to play four centre wings and you have to, you know, sometimes it's really tough. But, you know, if this continues and we see this big uptick in send-offs and therefore attacking football happens more, then, you know, you, your fifth centre wing could actually end up being a really big way to make up ground and something that many super coaches aren't going to do. What it's also going to do is it's going to alleviate the amount of forwards that you're playing. Now, we said before, you know, at the moment, 75% of forwards are the ones that are getting sent off. If you've only got your three starting second rowers and your two starting front rowers and you're not reserving any other forwards, that actually could be a positive because at the moment, you know, the forwards points are kind of more capped this year with the higher ceiling guys in the backs actually getting bigger scores this year. But when you take into account the send-off, you know, I, I could very well be looking at a reserve of a half, a 5'8", a fullback, and a centre wing, just to get all those backs in there. And certainly centre wings that are going to be playing poor opposition, they're going to be a target more than ever, because they're going to have more chance than ever before of scoring more points. So it, it obviously may not happen this way. Like I said, the 
the caveat that I'll throw in there is that maybe things will change, maybe they'll even out a bit, maybe there won't be as many send-offs, but it's definitely going to be watched the next couple of weeks, and even if we reduce the send-offs by, you know, 40%, you're still going to have double-digit send-offs on a weekend, and the majority of games are going to have one that happen, and that's that's going to have huge ramifications for Supercoach. You're always looking at taking advantage of that. Uh, any opportunities that you can see, any advantages that you can take at this point, you want to try and milk. Uh, and that's one to definitely try and consider over the next couple of weeks. Let's move on to trading. So the first part of our trading segment is going to be our farming. So the farming is going to be the cows of interest. And the first lot is going to be talking about the cheapies. There's really only one cheapie to have a look at this week, and that is Javid Bowen. So Javid Bowen's 186000 He's been getting quite a bit of interest. A lot of people are looking at trading him in. He's done okay this year, but a lot of it's on pretty small sample size. So he's averaging 30 base, which is really nice. He's got a minus 37 BE, so he looks like he's going to make a heap of cash. I would just caution people a little bit on Bowen, because one thing is that even though he's got 68 and 37 points the last two weeks, and he's about to play his third game with a good negative BE, the hammer is going to be coming back soon. And... When Fado actually returns to that lineup, Bowen could very well be gone. The Cowboys don't play around 13. So, you know, you might get one or two games out of him and then he's, he's history. And he may very well toss up a 30. And you're not going to make a huge amount of money and you're going to have him stuck in your centre wing. And I don't think you want anyone stuck there for too long at this point. So I don't see Bowen as a, as a great trade-in, even though he's bottom dollar, even though he's got a big negative BE of minus 37. If you have a look at what he did last year, you know, he played seven games last year, basically for 80 minutes a game, and he averaged 25 points a game. You know, he's not a guy that scores well at all. He's not great for super coach. He's not a fantastic first-grade player, so he's going to lose his spot potentially when, when the hammer's back or even just before that if he doesn't play very well. So I, I don't think at this point of the season teams really need to be going for every cow. And it's one thing that I've seen a few coaches do and a question that I've gotten for the podcast. So that is about... You know, well, you know, he's got a, a negative break even, so he looks like a really good buy, and I want the cash. The thing is, you might want the cash, but you don't need the cash necessarily. I think most teams have gotten on enough cash cows by now. At this point, you don't need to be jumping on every negative BE guy. You should really be looking at consolidating your team, building it for the buys, and be, and getting points into your team. Every now and then, you can jump on a cow, but there's going to be other ones, you know, and you can see other ones coming up. So I, I definitely think that you don't need to be going for Bowen. I also think that a lot of teams have the money to not need to go for a Jarvid Bowen. So I'm not a fan of him really as one of our cows and probably the only cheapy cow to have a look at this week. Uh, on the mids side, it's really interesting though. So first off, we're going to have a mids review uh, of Flegler. So Flegler we mentioned last week as one of the mids that we wanted to watch and potentially target. Ended up going okay. He got 51 minutes. Um, it was probably sort of three or four minutes below what we were hoping he was going to get. But he did well in that time. He ended up with 37 in base. He had two offloads, which were good. 45-point score. But he did that in a team that was absolutely demolished, 50-6 to six against Manly. So when you consider the flogging and everything, it wasn't too bad. He's got a BE of 8 now at 300k. He's going to play round 13. His job security is going to be good with Carrigan gone with his ACL. So he is reasonably interesting. Uh, I think one of the things that makes him more interesting, and you could certainly consider him this week, is that 
he is a front row forward that does have a bit of an offload in him. Um, he's in a team that's going to need him now with the Carrigan injury. And he's also in a position where front row forward's not fantastic. So it may not work out. 51 minutes isn't the best. If he ends up dropping a few minutes to 48 or something, it's really going to make a big impact on him. Uh, he's playing the Roosters and the Storm the next two. So I would only look at him if you desperately needed to get a cheap front row forward in, either for around 13 or to make other moves, then I think you could do it, but you probably need to be aware that you're going to have a bit of pain the next couple of weeks now. Um, he might not go as well as what you'd hope against good opposition. But, you know, 300k, he, he might end up getting 55 minutes a game and then he's going to be all right. So still a little bit of a question mark, but he certainly didn't deflate our interest that we had last week. When you're having a look at the other mids, it's really interesting. Because there's been a, an interesting question coming up on some of the forums. And that is, is it time to trade Jason Sarbin? And the laugh emojis are there, except people are kind of half serious about it. Jason Saab has gone ballistic, you know. And when you compare what he's done in the last four weeks to the first four weeks. You know, the first four weeks of the season, he went 11, 29, 20 and 5. Couldn't even average 20 points a game for the first month. This last month, he's gone 38. 53, 94, 100. And he's now gone for six games in a row where he scored at least one try, with 50% of those six games being multiple tries, including his hat-trick two weeks ago against the Warriors and including another double on the weekend against the Broncos, which he scored 100 points in. And he's now gone 194 the last two weeks when he scores the multiple tries. At the start of the season, you know, it looked like if he was going to score multiple tries, he'd be flat-out cracking 50. In round six, he scored two tries and he only scored 44 points with a raw base of 10. You know, his work rate seems to have gone up as Manly's gotten better. Certainly the turbo effect seems to be there because turbo has helped out and been a contributor in some of his attack. Buying him though, he's 430,000. He's still got a raw base average of 17. Despite the fact that he's a minus 38 BE, I just could not be going back there. I'm happy that I held but there's no way I could be going back there. It's not even like he plays around 13 by. Parramatta this week is a tough matchup at Bankwest Stadium for them. You know, it's not it's not definitely going to fall over flat and not work for you. Maybe he goes over again and he scores well this week and against Newcastle and you can make a quick 100 grand. I just think that there's going to be other guys that you're better off doing that with. Um, likewise for Charlie Staines, which is the other mid guy that's been coming up. Now people are starting to talk about Staines. I think that the, the benefit of Staines over a Saab, though, if you are going to look at the two, is that Staines has far better matchups the next two weeks. And he also plays round 13, so he does have the buy. Base is almost the same at 18, but very similar to Saab. He's got a very low floor, but the last two weeks he's gone much better, where he scored a double last week for 72 and a hat-trick the week before against the Sharkies in round 9 for 115. So, certainly, at a minus 43 BE, you know, 10K less, yeah, everything seems slightly better for a Charlie Staines trade-in compared to the Saab trade-in. His next three games, Souths, Bulldogs, Tigers in the bye, and then they even play the Sharks in 14, which you could even hold him for and then punt him. I think that if you're going to choose the other two, I'd, I'd probably go Staines, but... I wouldn't really be comfortable in doing either of them at their price points, um, even though they've got the big negative BEs. Aside from that, finish off on farming with our quick flip. Another guy that's been a popular talk and a guy that I wasn't huge on um, trading in before. I thought it was okay the last couple of weeks, but not fantastic. But with Pappenhausen going out with a, a score of around 20 on the weekend, you know, really unfortunate for Pap. 
in real life that he got injured, but he's he's okay by all accounts. Should be back in the next week or two. But it did open it up for Nico Hines. Now, Hines was starting at six anyway on the weekend, but obviously with Pap going down, it meant that he was just... Him and Hughes were really the sole playmakers in that side. Now, Hines threw up 182 points, and the week before that, very quietly, sort of threw up a 96, and then before that, a 69 and 98. So even including his 15-point score in round six, he's now got a five-round average of 92 and a three-round average of 116. There is no denying how talented Hines is. No denying it at all. 582,000 is a lot to pay. He's playing against Canberra away, but Canberra look pretty shot at the moment. Uh, that's not a bad matchup for him at all. Minus 67 BE, he's going to make a heap of cash this week. The thing that you have to consider with Hines, though, is he is a quick flip. And a lot of people are sort of getting a bit carried away that they're going to be able to keep him or he's going to you know, make money for 200000 250000 profit. He's going to be great for the next month. There is every chance that Pappenhausen is back next week. So Hines could very well make 90 to 100 grand this week very easily. But if Pappenhausen's back next week, Hines could be back on the bench. When you look at his bench scores, you know, he's gone 15, 20, and 9 this year. He's basically going to give you around 15 points on the bench. And then all of a sudden, because of his high price point, he's going to flatline in making money. Certainly after next week, if he's back on the bench, you know, around 13 with Origin, he's probably going to be a starter somewhere for the Gold Coast Titans game. And that's going to be a good game for him. And he could score really well and then make an extra 30, 40 grand. Uh, and you can even hold him for a week after that off the bench. He might even throw in another 20K trickle in. So you could make 150K. You could. Um, you could only make 100K as well. But the big deal is that you have to probably anticipate only being able to play him two out of the next three weeks. If your expectations are right on this and you like him, and you got the money for the 582000 then certainly, you know, better than going a Saab or a Staines because he's got much higher upside. But you need to be able to have a centre wing where you can sit him next week and bring a centre wing into that fourth spot and be comfortable they're going to score good points. Because it's no good getting a, a 75, 80-point score out of him this week or even a tonne and then having a really crappy centre wing option you're going to have to play for him if he's benched next week or trying to play him and getting 15 or 20 points next week. It's just going to completely negate the good score this week. Uh, and likewise, if your expectations are he's going to make huge money or he's going to be a keeper, you're going to be disappointed. You know, So invest in him for the right reasons. He's a quick flip to me. He's going to play two out of the next three games. He's going to go well when he does start, and then he's going to be able to be flipped for a fair bit of money, and you're going to be able to open it up for your next buy trade-ins probably in round sort of 14 or 15, getting rid of him. So he's not too bad. He's probably my pick between the mids and the higher price guys. I'd be going for, for him, just with the right expectations. When we're having a look at guns, so get the six shooters out. Tatal Malolo could be back. No one's talking about it. I'm going to talk about it because I like to target guys who people are, are going off that maybe look like they're turning around or people are a bit quiet on or gun-shy on. And Tal Malolo has very quietly the last couple of weeks come back to life a little bit. So he scores the last two weeks, 53 and 101. Now, obviously the 101 included a try. 53 isn't phenomenal. But that 101 score, he actually had 62 in raw base. And that 53 score, he he played against the Roosters side that's still reasonably dominant even with their injuries and stuff and still performing pretty well. So the last couple of weeks, it's not too bad. Since his return uh, three weeks ago, He's averaged 64 points a game. 
that's pretty good considering on his return game, he only played 44 minutes. And this is the bit that I like most about Tom Malolo. The last two weeks, he's gone 64 and 71 minutes. He has a 57 BE now, so he's right for the picking. But you could very well wait a week if you wanted to. The thing is, the caveat with him is that he's going to have to be a buy if he can do it for points and not worry about the round 13 buy because obviously he doesn't play it. But a lot of people looking past him because he's sort of forgotten about it. He's missed a good chunk of the season. The Cowboys haven't been doing well. His minutes to start the year were only 50. Uh, his minutes when he returned in round 8 were only 44. But very quietly, the last two weeks, his minutes have gone up to 71-64. If he plays an average of you know 60 to 65 minutes, uh, he's going to be a real option again particularly because you have to consider that he's only priced at 580000 Teams have been searching for secondary forwards the last couple of weeks because with the fall off of Mitch Barnett uh, and with other guys like David Fafita being injured, all of a sudden the forwards stocks aren't as high as what they were for Supercoach and we're starting to look at other options. I'm really surprised that teams are starting to look past Jason Tomololo so much. Certainly teams that already have a Madison, uh, certainly already have buy coverage pretty well stacked for round 13, and a lot of teams do, or teams that just want to get points now. Jason Tomalolo should be an option for you. His next two games are both at home, and they're both against teams that aren't going fantastic at the moment. Certainly not top four or five teams in the Newcastle Knights and the New Zealand Warriors. So next couple of weeks, matchups are quite good. He comes out of that buy. And it plays Manly, Sharks, Newcastle, and South when they're going to be decimated in the second buy. A lot of people will probably start to look at him getting towards that second buy. You can get a couple of week jump or a month jump on those people if you if you want to buy him now. And if you've got that David Fafita money to spend, I think he could actually be quite good. And the time Lolo of old is going to come back. He's averaging 57 points a game this year. The last four years before that, he's gone 72, 78, 70, 75. There's no way he's going to average 57 for the year. He's going to probably have a, a second half of the season average of 65 to 70 uh, at a minimum. So I really like him. I really like that no one's talking about him. He's definitely a gun consideration if you want to purchase someone at the moment for your secondary forward spot. The other gun to talk about is James Tedesco. Now, obviously, a lot of people have been waiting for this Cowboys-Broncos double we just had the Cowboys, and lo and behold, Teddy is back. So he ended up scoring more than any of the other big gun fullbacks, 131 points, and he was back to his best. He had a fantastic game, and he's now going to play a Broncos side that gives up an average of 92 points a game plus to opposing fullbacks, and who Teddy absolutely destroyed last year. Now, a lot of people have gone quiet on the Teddy front, uh, a lot of people are sort of trying to stick solid with their, their turbo and, and other options and whatever. Yeah, I'm sure turbo is going to go great. This isn't anything against him. But James Tedesco, I've said it before, I'll say it again, had a few weeks of footy where he basically didn't play. He didn't have the ball for one game. He played 20 minutes in another and went off and he didn't play the other game. You know, People have forgotten about him far too quickly. At 526000 he is the best value purchase that we've seen in months. He will definitely go back to being one of the top fullbacks. And I think against the Broncos this week, he's an outright captaincy easily, uh, could easily go for 150 plus points against the Brisbane Broncos. So he's a trade-in that I would make um, for one of your fullback spots. If you've got Turbo and Gutho there, you know, it's hard to get rid of Gutho when you do have the round 13 buy cover potentially. But the difference in points this week, especially considering the captaincy, you know, Teddy could double Gutho in points this week quite quite easily. 
And then if you've got the captaincy as well, it's another massive boost. So you could end up 200 points better off by doing a Gutho to Teddy trade just for this week. Fairly short-sighted because obviously he's not going to play around 13. But Canberra the following week after the Broncos, all of a sudden, away from GAO Stadium as well, shapes up as a pretty good game for the Roosters. Uh, and he could go very well again. So I'm going to say Teddy's back. I was thinking over this two-week run he would be. He's a phenomenal gun purchase right now, and this is a time to do it with his 5BE. He's probably going to go a ton again this week, and then all of a sudden he's going to start skyrocketing in price very, very quickly. Angus Crichton from the Roosters as well. He's obviously playing that Broncos side, and that Broncos side has notoriously had really poor edge defense for a few years now. Angus just had a two-try performance on the weekend. He has been someone that's been a little bit disappointing on the year. So when you look through the numbers, certainly understand why uh, people were a little disappointed. It was always a mistake to sell him, in my opinion. But he's now gone 117 points on the weekend against the Cowboys with his two tries, coming up against a Broncos side that he could very well go a ton against again. There was good signs on the weekend from Angus, aside from his try scoring as well. He ended up with 59 raw base. Now, that's the best raw base he's had since round five. Uh, and certainly, you know, that month of football that was pretty disrupted for the Roosters um, seemed to affect him a little bit. But his raw base is back. Um, he had some good tackle breaks and everything else as well. Against the Broncos and the Raiders the next two weeks, he looks really good. He's only 585k too. So when you're talking about value purchase of guns, Tomalolo and Angus Crichton, 585,000. You know, as pre-season, two of the top options to have in your second row forward, a huge value now that they've dropped in price. You know, you're getting Angus and Tom Lolo at 100k plus discounts on their their pre-season pricing, and they're coming into a decent run of games and decent opportunity as well to bounce back. So I definitely think that Angus is a great play this week, uh, and definitely a great buy if you're looking for a second row forward, as long as you remember that he's not going to be playing the round 13 buy, of course. Last gun to quickly tick off the list, and that is a guy that's been talked about a lot that does give buy cover, and that is James Fisher-Harris. He's been a little bit more polarizing, um, and he is one of those guys where I think people are looking at him because there isn't a huge amount of options in the forwards. Certainly the front row forward spots in particular, you know, they've dropped off, and there really isn't huge standouts there. Even um, Papali'i at Parramatta ended up throwing up a 48-point game on the weekend. There isn't anyone going ballistic in the front row forwards, and I think people are reaching to try and find something. The last three weeks, James Fisher-Harris has gone on a tear. He's gone 82-point average for those three weeks for 64, 84, and 98 points. Massive scores. uh, 558,000 is reasonably affordable. He's a dual front row forward, second row forward, so he offers that flexibility for the season. He's got a rule base of 51, which is very good. Ticks a lot of boxes. Looks really good on face value when you're looking at the recent stuff. The problem is uh, there is a, a little bit of caveat there, even though he does play the round 13 buy, which helps him over guys like Angus and so forth if you're looking for someone to play that buy round. Last two weeks, he scored a try. Before that last two weeks, he hadn't scored any tries. You know That's a big deal for him. When you're getting an extra 30-odd points from scoring tries each of those weeks, um, it's it's a big deal when you can't really bank on that very often. You know, those scores would have been 50s and 60s, and any three-round average would have been more like, you know, 62, 63 um, if you take off those tries. With some guys, you, it's I think it's silly to take off tries because they score them. You know, Angus is going to score his 8, 9, 10 tries, you know, a season potentially. James Fisher-Harris can go through a season and get one try, you know, and he's just scored two in a row. 
he's unlikely to continue with that clutch attack form that he's had. Um, he has been getting some TBs in the odd offload. Um, again, that's something that hasn't necessarily been there consistently for him. So if you look at the last three weeks, it looks great if you're going to get that player. The problem is if you look the three weeks before that, you know, he's got 48, 55, and 67. And he's more like a 57, 58 point average. Last year, he averaged 59 points um, and he was playing seven more minutes a game than what he is this year. So there is pretty big risk factors that you're going to get him in and he's going to throw up, you know, pretty mediocre 55 points a game for the next few weeks because he does go on those runs. He's also a guy that's got pretty low floor for a, a, a Ford, and that's mainly because he's playing 51 minutes a game and his minutes seem to be all over the place. Yeah, the last two weeks, his minutes, despite his scores, have been really concerning because he's played 48 and 35 minutes. Uh, and the week before that, he was 59, which is great, but the weeks before that was 52 and 49. His minutes fluctuate quite a bit. Uh, certainly, if there's injuries and things, his minutes can go up to sort of 59 to, to 61. seems to be the type of range. But if there's no injuries, um, and if he's fine as well, and there's no injury to him, his regular could be anywhere between that 48 to 52-minute range. And that's just not a phenomenal amount of minutes for him to be able to uh, keep giving you sort of 65-plus points a game. And you're kind of play, paying for that with the 558000 price tag. So I'm not saying he's a bad purchase. Um, certainly for front row forward and for buyer cover, you know, you might not have too many other great options. So it, it's fine to consider him. It's fine to get him in. But you need to be aware that he does have some lower um, lower games. He had a 39-point game in round three against the Storm in his, his 51 minutes. He had his 48-point game against Newcastle in his 52 minutes in round six. Uh, he's got those lower games in him, and it's been the case for him for a couple of years. His minutes haven't been consistent. They've been a bit all over the shop. They've been a bit low. Uh, and he scores. He's done this where he's fluctuated for two or three weeks and got a lot of people interested and then completely burned them for two or three weeks and they've rage-traded him. So you need to be aware of all that with James Fisher-Harris. He's not going to be uh, as good as an Angus Crichton for the similar price or a Tom Malolo for the similar price. He's going to give you the buy cover. They'll all be able to play at front row forward. So that finishes off on the guns pretty nicely. Let's have a quick look at bargain bin. I love the bargain bin. Looking at guys that have dropped a lot in price. And I would have liked to have talked about Kickout because he's now sub 400k, which is unreal. But he's just been going absolutely shithouse. So don't do it to yourself. Just buy him in a couple of weeks if you really want him for the buy. But he hasn't been playing enough minutes. But another old favourite of mine that is in the bargain bin that is really interesting is Nathan Brown. He's only 420,000. Okay, so a lot of people are going to say, oh, Nathan Brown, he's not really that much of an option. Well, you know, 420,000, he's starting to become one. If he's not in origin and he's a pretty outside chance to be picked, I think, um, then he's going to play round 13. A chance at origin, more than likely playing round 13, though, so he could give you that cover. The good thing about him is that he's in this bargain bin price of 422,000 because he had a couple of injury-affected games. So he missed the game before last against the Roosters in round nine because he got hurt in round eight versus the Dogs and only played 37 minutes. That meant he only scored 23 points. Uh, the week before against the Broncos, it was another affected game where he only played 44 minutes. Now, normally, his minutes are anywhere from sort of 56 to 68. That's his minute range for the rest of the year between rounds one to six. And between that point, he didn't score anything lower than a 51, and his range was 51 to 72. And that's kind of what you can expect from, from him. When you're talking about someone like James Fisher-Harris before as a gun that you're paying 140000 more for, 
you know, you could get a Nathan Brown as a bargain bin guy that's going to give you the same sort of range. He played sixty. He played um, only forty-six minutes on the weekend, mainly because he was coming back from his injury, and he scored sixty-three points. Uh, that included a try, but you can definitely expect sixty-three points without a try if his minutes go back up to where they were before, which was kind of around that sixty-odd minute range. Um, certainly last year he played sixty-six minutes a game, but maybe we can assume he's going to lose six minutes a game because IPAP has uh, risen uh, and they've got a bit of a. I guess, more con- condensed forward rotation where they've got to give some more guys some minutes, perhaps. But he could even go back up to 66 minutes a game, and then you're laughing, um, yeah, and then you're sort of looking at a mid-60s average, averaging 66 points a game last year. So he's got the upside at, at 422,000. He's always going to be a bit of an injury risk, but uh, Manly this week, Souths, then Newcastle in the bye. Not a bad three weeks for forwards. Um, certainly the Manly pack hasn't been that great. Um, and certainly against Newcastle in round 13, he could be a really valuable buy cover option. And he's going to be a guy too that if he does do what he did last year, um, you know, 65 odd minutes for 66 points, you can end up just throwing him on your bench and just leave him there if you have to and just have him as a you know, third bench forward in your second row or something. Because you got him for 422,000, that's going to be fine. You know, so it's he, he offers so much and he offers gun-like scores for a price tag just over 400000 where he could play the buy. I really like him as a bargain at the moment. Um, now, injury is going to be the caveat there. Uh, if if minutes don't go up enough, um, that could be a problem because Lane's on the bench now and needs to get his minutes because of IPAP starting. But I, I don't think it will be. You know, I think there's guys like Madison and Brown are the, the first two guys that are going to eat in that pack as far as the minutes go. They're going to be the priority to get their minutes. So I really like him. Pot of the week. Pod spotlight for this week, Daniel Tupo, one of my favourite wingers. So I get hassled a lot for my Tupo talk. I've talked about him a few times this year um, when he was becoming a bit of a bargain. And he has gone on an absolute tear since he became a bargain. Came into round seven against the Dragons for only 480,000. Threw up 75 points. Next week, 102 points. Next week, 48 points, which had no try involved and 101 points against the Cowboys on the weekend with his double. And he is the type of winger that if he scores a double, he's going to go 90 to 100 plus. Uh, and that's sort of what you want to see. 33 raw base is about as good as any center wing in the game. You're not going to do much better than that. He's coming up against a Broncos side where he's notoriously scored tries against them. Um, he's going to give them a huge amount of problems. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up with another ton this week. And if he does, that's going to be three out of his last four games with a ton. He's now expensive. So you're going to be paying a 575000 price tag for him. But the next couple of weeks against the Broncos in Canberra could go great. What you're looking at is his try scoring ability. Certainly now that Brett Morris isn't there, uh, they could be getting a lot more ball on that side. But, you know, the first month of the season, he didn't have a try. Then from round five onwards, he scored a try. He scored, well, he's actually scored five tries in his six games since round five. So he's definitely gotten the ball back on that side. He's definitely gotten more opportunity. And the scores have been there as a result. Three round average of 84, five round average of 71. Pod ownership. You know, not enough people own Daniel Tupo, and that's always the case. So you're always going to get him at sub 10%. And he's going to be a ton this week that the majority of super coaches aren't going to have provided that he can give it. But against the Broncos, you know, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't at least go 70 plus. He's going to give you a good score. And I think he's definitely going to score a try against him as well. So 
he's a guy that is a quintessential example of trading in a pod for points now and not worrying about the buys. You can get pod points from Tupo now and get a really big leg up on the other center wings. Uh, I will say as well from our strategy talk at the start of the podcast, the Broncos are the type of side that are going to cop sin bins again this week, at least one. You know, they end up with 11 men last week. If they end up with 11 men for a 10-minute period or a 5-minute period even against the Roosters playing at the SCG, the Roosters will put two or three tries on them. You know, Tupo could rack up 50 or 60 points in five minutes if that's the type of scenario that we find ourselves in. With the Roosters versus Broncos, I think it's a high likely chance that the Broncos end up with someone binned and the backs are just going to feast. So really like Tupo as a pod. Raw base of 33, so he's not going to give you a terrible score. Decent matchups for a couple of weeks. If he doesn't make the origin side, he's going to play the Bulldogs in the round 17 by and be a premium option as well. And he can be a hold as one of your center wing guys because he was a top couple of center wing just last year. And he's coming back to that now with a 63 average, but definitely picked it back up the last five rounds with his 71, which is where I expect him to be closer to for the duration of the season. Pod risks. I'm just going to give a quick Luciano update. I mentioned him last week as starting to become an option. He only threw up 50-odd points on the weekend, so that wasn't fantastic for him, obviously. But it's it's all about this week for me with Luciano. He's now dropped to 512,000. So he's dropped the 32K. Uh, we said last week he'll probably drop the 30K, so you can wait on him. 512,000 now with an 89BE. He's probably going to keep dropping, but... In saying that, I'm picking him for his highest score of the season this week against the Warriors. I think the Tigers look pretty good on the weekend. I think they're going to put on points against the Warriors. 512,000, if you're looking for that pod second rower, uh, I think he's going to have his best score of the year this year. He's going to go 90-plus against the Warriors side. So I actually like him as an outside purchase. Um, he didn't look great on the weekend, but the, the bigger scores are coming. I like that revenge game against the Dragons in round 12 as well where he stepped up against them last year, and I think that he even scored a ton against them. Um, so other than that, a risky pod that I'm not huge on, but I need to mention is Marty Tapao. People have started to talk about him a little bit, but he's largely gone unnoticed because he keeps getting benched. You know, and But the thing is that even though he's been getting benched, He's still playing the same type of minutes. And in fact, on the weekend, um, he played a bit more minutes at 57. So that was his highest minutes of the week of the year. But um, we can say it was potentially um, injury affected for him because they did have some injuries in the Manly side. He still ended up scoring 94 points against that Broncos side. Uh, and that's without a try. Uh, 50 in raw base. And he still ended up the weeks before that going 69 and 87. So he now has a three-round average of 83 points with a five-round average of 72. And very quietly, since round five, he's actually gone really well despite his pretty normal slow start. So he's gone 68, 44, 87, 69, and 94 points. He's now going to cost you 560000 um, But if you were talking about a guy with better upside and base attack upside than James Fisher-Harris that you can have in your front row forward... Uh, it's definitely to power. There is always going to be the risk that he's going to have some lower minutes, and that's going to be a big problem for him. Uh, even when he scored that 69 and 87 before the weekend's game, he only played his 46 minutes in each of those two contests. You know, that's going to happen. He's going to get that quite regularly, but really like how he stepped up the last month of football. And it's no secret that because Manly's been going better, uh, some of their players like to power stepped up as well has to be said, he did have a lineback try assist on the weekend for that big score. But his last three games, 
he's averaged three and a half offloads a game and five tackle breaks a game. So that's the to power of old that you want to see. You want to see those three plus offloads, those five tackle breaks a game. And if you've got those, even in those low minutes, he's going to give you a higher upside than what a James Fisher-Harris is. It's just a matter of if that continues because we've seen that drop off and fluctuate at times as well. So he's definitely a pot option. No one's going to own him. He's going to be a great option for the buy as well in round 17. So if you're happy to miss him and have him on the pine in round 13 when he's going to be sitting for the buy, uh, you could get an early jump. He plays a Parramatta side that leaks points to opposing middles. And that's been the case for a few years. And Billy always bangs on about it on this podcast. Tapao is obviously in middle. So he is primed for a decent game this week as well. All right. So this week's games, round 11. Let's move straight into that. So looking at the first game, it's the Cowboys and Knights. This one, I obviously like the fact that Kalen Ponga is out. I think it gives the Cowboys a lot of chance to put up some points against a side that uh, struggled quite a bit last week without him. Because of that, a VC option that's a little bit left field for this one. Uh, I actually quite like Valentine Holmes again to step up. Now, Holmes hasn't been that good the last couple of weeks, but you know he did play the Roosters last week in a side that copped a sin bin. But he still managed to not have terrible scores. You know He had 63 last week. He had 50 against the Broncos in a tough matchup and 62 against the Warriors the week before. So in three tough games for the, the Cowboys, he's still averaged 58 points a game. He's obviously got the goal kicking, uh, and he's playing at home as well, which is a tough travel for Newcastle. And he, before that last three weeks, went 97, 95 points. Uh, and those were in good um, matchups for the Cows. So if you think this is a good matchup for them, and you own a Valentine Holmes, he hasn't scored a ton yet this year, and he hasn't actually scored very many tries this year at all. So this could be the week where he turns that around he's going to have that goal-kicking upside. So if he's in your centre wing and you want to um, swing for it, the Knights did get some some sin bins last week. They are a side that's probably a little bit less disciplined than some of the other teams. So, you know, if they do get a send-off or a sin bin in this one, it's guys like Holmes that could end up benefiting as well. So very much, I think, that you're VCing and seeing uh, backs this weekend and not bothering with the Fords. Uh, as far as t- top sport better of the week for this one, I like the Cowboys, $1.53. I think that's really good money for them. Um, so I'm all over the Cowboys for top sport better of the week for this one. The second game, New Zealand Warriors versus the West Tigers. This one is a little bit harder as far as VC and C options. Now, you know, the heart says Dewey has been going crazy. I've been loving it. Uh, on the weekend, he got moved to centre and it really didn't matter. Adam Dewey still put in 114 points. He's now got back-to-back tons of 114 141, playing against a Warriors side that he should go reasonably well against again. You know, there's an argument that he's a pod captaincy choice. It, it might happen. The problem is that he scored two tries on the weekend. He, he absolutely had a phenomenal game, but at centre, uh, I really don't like him as much. And I said it last week to a lot of questions that I had about, do I trade in Adam Dewey? You know, even this week, people are asking about it. Minus 14 BE, still 664,000, coming off two tons. It's really hard to trade him in if he's playing centre. You know, his sweet spot is playing number six. He's much better there. He needs his hands on the ball. He gets forced dropouts and all that other stuff at six that he's not going to get at centre. And I don't think that he's going to get those tries every week. And if he doesn't, you know, he's... He's just going to drop off in his scores pretty dramatically. You know, he could end up with a a 30 or 40 point game against the Warriors this week if he doesn't hit some attack and the Tigers don't score a heap of tries. So it's pretty scary. Um, But 
he has been in great form. Maybe his poor scores at centre before were because he was still developing as a player. Maybe he continues on. He, he's definitely going to be a bit of a pod option. But I don't think there's anything else in this one that I love. What I do love, though, is Top Sport having the West Tigers at $2.60 outsiders for this game. I took the, the Tigers last week for the win. I thought it was absolutely crazy with the Newcastle outs that they were big outsiders, the Tigers. And they have obviously absolutely towed them up. They're on a pretty good run at the moment, the Tigers. So $2.50 is a great outsider bet. But you could just give them a 10.5 start and you're still going to get a $1.68 for them, which is phenomenal. So really like those ones. The Sharks versus the Dragons is the next game, man. Look, I apologise to Sharks and Dragons fans in advance because I've, I've said this the last few weeks that I'm really not excited for their game. And the Dragons are absolutely decimated. Everyone's seen TLT. Everyone's seen all the suspensions. You know, they've got half a dozen players out. The Dragons are hugely going to struggle in this one. Uh, and the Sharkies don't really have that many options for Supercoach that are really, really going to take advantage of it. So I don't think there's any VC or C options in this one. And in fact, I don't even really think there's many trading options that you could even spruik uh, as a bit of an interest. Um, and the Cronulla Sharks are $1.40. Now, that seems pretty good money against the Dragons side that's it's pretty decimated. Uh, and went really poorly last week, I thought, as well. So that's not bad on top sport there. Money-wise, you're probably not going to get better odds than anywhere else. Gold Coast Titans and Canterbury Bulldogs is the next one. Jeez, would really like to have David Fafita for this game against the Bulldogs. <laughs> Playing at home for the Gold Coast. Fafita would be an absolute moral for a captaincy option in this game. But he's obviously out. So we've got to look at a few uh, outside chances, maybe, for the Gold Coast Titans to carve up. If you somehow own... Brimson. Now, that would mean that you don't have one of the big fullbacks, and I'm not a fan of that at all, but if somehow you do have him, he is a prime VC option this week if you don't have Teddy or Turbo to look at. Uh, he's gone 47 last week. Before that, he's gone 80, 91, and 80. Um, hasn't had a big ton this year, but he had a multiple tons last year. Playing against a Bulldogs side at home for the Titans, this could be his ton week. This could be his 125 score. So he's a very outside pod uh, VC that isn't even owned by anyone, but certainly couldn't see him. But a VC option's there. I will throw a shout-out to Brian Kelly as well. Brian Kelly this week, I think people have been a little disappointed. He hasn't gone as well as what people thought he would. His base has been okay, but 47, 69, 34, 64... 32, 73. Those are his scores since he came back. He's only got a three-round average of 50 and a five-round of 49. He, he has been disappointing. He's only got one try this year so far. He's going to get a try this week against the Dogs, I reckon. This is a week to play Brian Kelly. It's also a week to consider him as an option at 440k. Uh, this might be a good bye week because the Bulldogs this week, then the Sharks, and then the bye. Uh, but he's, a, he's definitely one to look at for this week for this game. As far as top sport goes as well, that's also my pick for a, a bit of an outsider for their betting markets. Brian Kelly is at $2.41 on top sport for any time try. He's due a try. Um, Alexander Brimson's only $2.05 as well. Really like that one too. The next game, we have a bit of a better one for Supercoach purposes anyway, and that is the Sydney Roosters versus Brisbane Broncos. Now, the Roosters are absolute gold in this one. Um, they've carved up the Broncos multiple times the last couple of years when they've been struggling. And this is a, this is Teddy time. Like, this is straight C Teddy for me. And I think that he's probably the captain of the round. There's a big chance that he's going 150 plus. And it's great that so many people jumped off 
Teddy to go to Turbo, even to Ponga, um, back to Pap and so forth, or hold Pap. The real shame is going to be that a lot of people are going to jump back on Teddy because it's really been made easy to with Pappenhausen out now and also with Ponga going out for two weeks uh, from last week's game. So if those players were still in, Teddy would be such a good option this week because he'd be a lot lower ownership, a lot lower captaincy percentage. But I don't think you can stuff around with this. I think that you've got to go for Tedesco as a captaincy choice this week. Um, Likewise... The Roosters 13 plus on top sport. It's it's not going to give you a huge amount of value. It's only a dollar 38, um, but I think that is massive value for them to go 13 plus. The line is actually minus 19 and a half for the Roosters at a dollar 85. I really like that as well, but I would be very surprised if Daniel Tupo does not score a try. Uh, I think Teddy probably will as well, but for betting markets on top sport, Daniel Tupo is a dollar 57, which I even I think is generous at a dollar 57. So that's definitely my pick of the week for for this particular game. But definitely, if you've got Teddy, you've got to put the C on him. He's going to carve up this week for sure. Moving along, Canberra Raiders versus Storm. The Raiders are decimated yet again. Papali'i sent off, gone for a number of weeks. White and gone as well. They've got Sam Williams playing in the halves for this week against the Storm. It doesn't really matter that Pappenhausen's out because we saw how good Nico Hines is. If you've got options later in the round, and obviously Cleary plays later in the round, this game screams uh, a VC for Nico Hines. Starting again, coming off 185 points against a depleted Canberra side, he's going to be a great VC option. If you trade him in, you could just trade the VC on him straight away, and he could end up being a huge loop option, uh, particularly with his sort of upside that he showed last week. So I really like that. If you did manage to get on the pod, Jerome Hughes, he ended up 70-odd points last week, which was okay. This week, he could end up going back to his tons and, and he might be a VC option again. But I obviously like the Melbourne Storm quite a bit. Josh Adokar scored um, a bulk of tries last week. Anyone that brought him in is going to be really happy. He's probably going to score again this week. So he's a really good one to look at for uh, scoring a try. Unfortunately, because he's been scoring so many, he's only $1.60. But $1.60 on top sport, I can tell you I looked at three other bookmakers and none of them had $1.60 plus for, for Adokar at all. So that's phenomenal. I'm all over that one at $1.60 on top sport. Next game is going to be the Rabbits and Panthers. Probably the game of the round, I think. Latrell Mitchell is going to return. And we're going to have a much fuller strength South Sydney side than what we've seen recently. Uh, Campbell Graham's also in the extended squad, so he could even come in. I really like this game in real life purposes. I don't know what to make of it for fantasy purposes. So... Nathan Cleary's just put up 225 points. It's going to be... It's really hard to ignore that and not just keep the captaincy on him for this week. Uh, And I think there's every chance that he goes well this week. I am a little bit worried about this game, though, because South's getting Latrell back is a big boost. uh, And I think that they will step up for the Panthers. And despite the fact that the Panthers have won 10 games in a row, which hasn't been done for several decades, they have to lose a game eventually. So it does worry me a little bit. I think this is a bit of a danger game for the Panthers. And I think South will really be up for it. And the Panthers are going to be playing much better opposition this week. So I am going to obviously be playing Cleary. And I think that he's still going to go with 75 plus at least. But uh, captaincy, I'm a little bit uh, more standoffish on that one. He's definitely an option though. If I didn't have Tedesco, I would probably roll the dice and put the C on Cleary. But I definitely think Tedesco is a better option for this one. Uh, as far as the markets go, 
Brian Ty had a really disappointing week last week, as did Luai, actually, as a bit of a pod option. I ended up training Luai in last week, thinking I was going to get 100. So that was terrible that I got his worst score in like a year and a half. But I'm expecting, hopefully, a bounce back with the Cody Walker versus Luai matchup this week for potentially the State of Origin number six jersey for the Blues. But we didn't get a try from Brian Toto last week. Now, Brian Toto is $1.74 this week to score. That's the best odds on top sport for a few weeks now. Uh, and probably better odds than you're going to find in most other betting markets as well. Top Sport, $1.74 for Brian Soto. All over that, I do think the Panthers are still going to score points on the Rabbits, even if they end up losing or getting upset. Uh, so really like that one. The last game of the round that we're on for this week is going to be the Eels versus Seagulls. That one's at Bankwest Stadium. This one's a bit of a hard one. So Eels have been doing really well. Um, at the start of the year in the first month of the season, mainly looked like a pushover matchup that you wanted to have players playing against. And if you looked ahead and saw that the Eels were going to be playing them this week, you would lick your lips at guys like Gutho, Sevo being in your team, and even some of these other outlier pods like Mitchell Moses and, and so forth, uh, who went quite well the last couple of weeks. You'd be thinking that all those guys are going to go really well at Bankwest Stadium best Manly. Manly, since Turbo has come back, have been a much better side. So this could be a much tougher matchup. One thing that I will say for Manly, though, is that they can still let in points, and the Eels do like playing at Bankwest, so I still do think it's going to be a really good Supercoach matchup. Um, I would be slightly worried about not owning Tommy Turbo still, because I think every week he's pretty matchup-proof, but I certainly wouldn't be comfortable throwing the C on him this week against the Eels. Likewise, I don't think that you can um, have a look at any Eels, but... Uh, I do think that if you didn't get on someone like Ryan Madison this week, this is a great game to do it on. Uh, Manly edges can be a bit susceptible. They don't have Kieran Foran this week either. They do have Kate Cuss there. Kate Cuss is definitely worth a look as well. Didn't have time to look at him in our cheapy farming segment, but definitely can have a look at him too on the top sport betting market. So just because there's no C or, or VC standouts doesn't mean that there isn't some betting standouts. Parramatta at $1.45 is really good value. They're, they're $1.32 on sports bet, just to give you a bit of a comparison. $1.45 is fantastic for them. Minus 7.5 points at $1.90. I really like that. Um, I, I'm going to take the Eels at $1.90 minus 7.5. That's a great line. It's great value at Bank West. Uh, I think it'll be a good game, but I do think the Eels are going to win it. And in saying that, that's the podcast for this week. So thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, I'm sorry that it was a solo podcast this week. I do have a guest lined up for next week to come on and chat with me. Uh, I am not trying to make excuses, but I'm about four weeks away from the, the second child coming. I've had a heap of work coming. I've got a, a contract that just started and a whole heap of other stuff that's meant that I had to record this during the day. So it was a bit hard to get someone on. Uh, I had to do a bit of a quicker one just for myself solo, but next week we'll be back to a, a duo and I'll have a, a great guest on to chat about Supercoach. But Make sure that you do download or stream us. You can do it on SoundCloud. You can also do it on Spotify or iTunes where you can subscribe as well. You can follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Jump on there, give us a like and, and a follow and you can keep up to date with all the podcasts and everything. And you can also jump on our partner, Top Sport. If you do want to have a punt, use the code for your account, SC All Stars, under the promo code section when you open up a new account with them and they'll know you're one of our listeners and take great care of you. 
But round 11, let's hope we don't get as many send-offs and sin-bins and hope that some normalcy and com- common sense comes into the NRL with this bit of crackdown and that we get some good footy. I reckon we're going to have massive scores this week regardless. Can't wait to chat to you all about it next week for round 12, which will be a big, big podcast coming up to that buy round. But until then, best of luck with your trades and matchups, and we'll chat to you next week. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.